0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody out there. Welcome to yet another coronavirus version of No Script, No Problem here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before with insight from some of the best in the business of reality television, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, game shows, and much more. From The Prophet, to The Masked Singer, to Love is Blind, to Live PD, if it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of unscripted television with shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, OutDaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes Under My Belt. Each week, I talk to the talented people who have made unscripted TV, documentaries, true crime, and game shows, not just something you watch or consume, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Okay, let's get started. Today, my guest is a terrific showrunner, producer, and development executive. She's executive produced such shows as Dancing with the Stars, Skating with the Stars, Breaking Point, and Ladies of London, as well as holding development posts at BBC Worldwide and Ryan Seacrest Productions, currently She is the executive producer and showrunner on the colossal Fox hit series, The Masked Singer. That is the hottest reality show on television today, folks. Please welcome Izzy Pick Ibarra. Izzy, thank you for being here. Thank you
1: for having me.
0: I'm excited. (laughs) Well, I I guess I shouldn't say being here. I should say joining me (laughs) remotely. Where are you exactly? Do you know
1: where I am? I'm in Palm Springs. Oh. And I've been, so, so I about on March the, 10th or something like that we, I was going on vacation a uh, much needed break after we just finished taping Mastering at 3 season 3 and uh I, I was meant to be going to Mexico and suddenly I thought maybe Mexico's not a great idea with <laughs> see it was all rumbling rumblings were happening yes, right yes. and so um and so instead we re- di- we diverted ourselves to Palm Springs and met my sister and her family at the time were meeting us for vacation and we have not left we've been here for five weeks
0: if you have to be you know, hold up somewhere. <laughs> Palm Springs is not, not a bad place to be. It's
1: not, it's really not bad. I have to say, I mean, we are, We there's a lot of children in the house, but um, I've got very creative with my kind of arts and crafts now for the kids and trying to, trying to homeschool. I have sort of utmost respect for anybody who is an educator of any kind because it's really hard.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. My, I really a, hard. My, I spoke with my older brother earlier this week who mm. is, uh he's an orthopedic surgeon who for the first time is having to educate his uh two kids. And he says that yes. uh being a teacher is harder than being an orthopedic surgeon. So uh,
1: I mean, I don't I don't I believe that on every single level. Like your patience, they test tests your patients. It also tests the fact that I really don't know anything about anything. Um so <laughs> when we're going through like assignments, I'm like, well, I have no idea what that is, you know, sort of yeah. swirling off. And tried what's I mean. It's good, I guess. I'm I'm being educated myself, but um, yes, it's 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 an interesting
0: time. Uh, yes, you, you just said, you know, before that, you guys were able to finish shooting before yes. the coronavirus came in and put everybody shelter yeah. in place, which is great because, as I'm sure you've heard, like American Idol is now having to adjust and they're doing these remote live shows. What's the status of Mass Singer?
1: Well, so the Mars we finished taping um at the right at the end of February. I think it's february the twenty ninth it was um, and so we were and the way that with the schedule was this this season, we were posting and shooting at the same time um because we had such a fast turnaround, and the, there is an enormous post team on the Mars singer. It's an incredibly complicated show to edit for many reasons um but namely that they there's so many multiple narratives running through the show that will dismantle an episode so when you go to say the clue narrative that you have in the show yeah. the clue tracking um and you know what what the panel say after one show and the direction that they go down then then impacts the the next episode obviously greatly sure. and if you don't include if you don't include like a clue that seems incredibly meaningless at the time that and a panelist hasn't even sort of noticed it and suddenly eight shows later it becomes the thing that then gets them to the guess. right and if you don't include it earlier so there, there's a yeah. very large post team that to craft um to craft all the narrative the clue narratives that, that run through it so we had to um we had to start we started posting we started literally the first episode we taped um, and so now we're in a position where we've only got another four four shows left to
0: cut. How has the virus affected the post-process? Are you, have you guys adjust, adjusted well or has it really kind of shaken up the schedule?
1: Um, it's really, I mean, it's shaken up the schedule, but you know, we've got an amazing post team. So there's um, the EP, Rosie Sajcek, who oversees post um, with Lindsay Tuggle um, is absolutely fantastic and super, super organized and buttoned up. And so all of the editors... Um, all of the producers, everybody's working remotely, but they are, they have it. They're having kind of like daily Zoom calls, um, constant Zoom calls. Are, we're set up on a Slack channel so we can all communicate that way. Um, so it's really, I mean, the system is slower obviously them being in person and being in post, but, you know, and we've only really, we haven't derailed from our schedule, from our air schedule. Um, We having to, I think we're pushing maybe possibly one week with one of the episodes, but really that's it. So really, you know, they've done an incredible job. It's just meant that they've had less time to spend on
0: those shows. I want to dig into Mass Singer, but I like I always like to kind of start with how you got, into unscripted and kind of got to, you know, being a a successful showrunner.
1: My first ever job in TV was for my uncle, who is a fantastic documentary maker and who now runs um, the Smithsonian network, a guy, David Royal is his name. And he um, had a production company back in the, I'm going to age myself hideously now, but (laughs) Back in, back in the 80s um, and 90s. And um, he basically called my mother up one day and said, I think Izzy should come and do an internship with me in New York. Uh, and I was, uh, I was 18 or 19 years old. And so it was 19, it must be 1990, 89 or 90. And um, I was shipped off to New York um, and was living in Harlem, working on 42nd Street by Port Authority on a documentary about the mafia Wow! Um, It was called Target Mafia for A&E and my uncle would happily, happily send me off down to the meat markets to go and speak to kind of former mafia, um, you know, prison guards and various people. I fell wildly in love with them. Lucky Luciano, (laughs) who obviously was dead was dead. (laughs) But, but, but I don't, my uncle said, whatever you do, don't fall in love with any of these gang mobsters. And I was like, (laughs) within about a week. That, oh, it's something about him.
0: <laughs> I was just going to say that sounds straight out of a movie, and then Q, you falling <laughs> in love with with the mobster, I know. yeah. I know, I
1: know, and also I mean I was shell shocked because New York, New York at the time was not um, cleaned up in the way that it is now. And I had I grew up in um, Asia, and um, so I and then came to England in my in when I was sort of eleven or twelve, and um, and then had lived in sort of you know quite small you know, communities since then. So I'd never really been exposed to the New York in its kind of full full force, the, al- the life that was living, you know, around New York at the time and um, certainly around Port Authority and 42nd Street. But um, I, I loved, I fell in love with, with TV. I mean, I fell in love with documentaries really first. Um, and I came back from that internship. So I was there for three months. And I came back and I was like, I am going to become a TV producer. And so I wrote, you know, hundreds of letters to, uh, you know, as many companies as I possibly could and asked to ask for a job. And I got a job really with, um, I got a job initially with MTV an internship looking Great. for German video jockeys, <laughs> randomly, <laughs> um, as you do. <laughs> and, sure, um, I know. Sure, and then um, and then I after, straight after that I, I ended up with uh, working with a documentary company in England called um, Wild and Fresh Productions. Okay, and did a number of docs. So I was with them for quite a few years um, before I then found myself f- sidelined into entertainment. The lined, history, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: i started off with very noble noble.
0: we all do goals. we all do yes. i know we all do we all do we i all started do. in news yes very Did noble you? yeah of course yes that's yeah, yeah you see look and yeah.
1: intelligent programming <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> not and i was i was embarrassed when i see my uncle because he's always like how are you doing Yeah. How's, how's my Singer or how's Darts and Stars? <laughs> it's like, I'm really sorry. I'm not, I've not been doing anything that's too intelligent, but,
0: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but
1: fun anyway. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that, okay. So, so that, yeah. you get into the lifestyle stuff. How yeah. And what was the show over in England that really kind of got you on this path towards reality television, towards unscripted TV?
1: Um, well, I guess that the documentaries that I was working on, weirdly, were I suppose now they might be termed format you know like unscripted format um entertainment because they were you know we were doing it was much more obstock but the first series was um a series about um natural medicine um and it was about and it actually won an RTS award for the best sort of factual series but that was my really first foray into I guess um unscripted really because we followed six characters that and um, were going through these kind of being taken off medication that they were meant to be on for life and being given, handed over to natural practitioners. Um, and it, but it had a, it was very much formatted in that way. Um, and I, t- I, from that one, I then did a show about randomly called Strictly Dancing, which was a, yes. um, yeah, which then, yeah. and then, and then I did Strictly come dancing after that. So I don't, I've sort of got a thing about this title, but um am <laughs> dancing, which was a, was a dance, you know, follow, following people who, who were passionate about dance, but, but the real, the real entertainment show, I guess the one that really got me on the path I'm, I'm now on was, um, I was given a, a shot at, um, at a show called street mate, And Street Mate was an iconic cult um, dating show in in the UK. And um, it had just done one season. And I had been put up for a job as a producer um, by somebody at the BBC who who I knew um, had. But it wasn't it wasn't with the BBC, but she'd um, referred me. And I said to them, I've got no entertainment or dating show experience whatsoever. So you (laughs) don't I don't think you should hire me. Like I'm really gonna be a disaster on this project. And they went, Yay, we'll take you. You really because sold that's yourself worked in England. Yeah, you
0: really sold yeah, yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It was all about the undersell in the <laughs> UK. And so, and so I um and so they gave me a chance, a shot on this show, and um it was brilliant. I mean, it was so different to work on something that was just pure entertainment and you know, not so much factually um, accurate about anything. <laughs> it was kind of, you know, it was a dating show where we hit the streets of a different town and we paired people up on the streets then and there on dates okay. and they went out the next night and it was all real. It wasn't precast or anything like that. Oh. It, was, it all happened in real time. Because you didn't in those days, you you really didn't do that. Yeah. You know, you went out and you found you found people that... That was the the challenge of the show. I mean, you'd never be able to make it today. No, I
0: was just gonna say, um, yeah, that's because, a yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone would reasons. let you even try that today.
1: No, no. I, yeah. they would and and so you yeah you match people up then and there and then they um they went on a date the next night there's no background checking that happened <laughs> because that wasn't again that wasn't something we had to do so we oh were talking goodness. about it really old days now yeah yeah and then um so yeah so a lot it was I did that and I ended up doing that for two years and and becoming the the showrunner of that um, Got it. after the uh, yeah and so and then, and then, and then, but then after that, I got a call from a new show that had never been done before, which was Big Brother. And, um, uh, it was the, it, I know it'd come wow. straight, yeah. it'd just been done in Holland. And I remember thinking this was the most incredible thing I had ever seen in my life. Like the idea that you could observe people without no there was no um no editing done of it. Yep. it you could actually see what was happening in real time in this house with these characters yep. and um and you know the british public you know lapped that up but they they were i mean we take things to a different level in the uk i mean with there was there was season three i think was this character jet was season three or four was jade goody um and she basic people was felt so strongly about her that during the live shows the audience members would turn up with raw pieces of bacon (laughs) that they would throw at her on stage or throw at the stage i mean we got into it was like medieval times you know it really was it was sort of create and it was as it was national conversation as well like i mean that's the the other thing in the in the UK I mean everybody watched the same things at yeah. the same time and we, we all talked about it it was on the front page of every tabloid and so there was very much a kind of a national conversation around Big Brother and so it was very exciting time but I but I weirdly the job that I got on that show which I was not well suited to do in the slightest because I'd never done it before was the I was the live producer of the show okay when I'd never done live TV. I've never done live TV. I don't know how I ended up
0: there. Wow. Okay. So they threw you into the fire. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And they did it
1: purposefully. So I went for the interview um, with a lady called Ruth Wrigley, um, who was ep and overseeing um, all of Big Brother. And I said, Ruth, I've never done live TV, so I don't know that this is a good idea. And she said, yes, but I like your sensibility and I like the, I like the way you see things. And so that was all she needed. And she gave me a chance and I, and I walked into this environment where I literally learned everything Everything. from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, From the ground up. And I I mean, it was a shell shock for sure. Um, but one that I really loved, you know, and, um.
0: So how then do you make the transition? From the UK to America,
1: um, so we'd made two seasons of um, Strictly Come Dancing in the UK, and despite everybody's, um, you know, disbelief, the show had been a huge hit from the get-go um, because even in England, everyone thought it was a ridiculous, stupid-sounding idea. Um, and so we'd Richard Hopkins, who was my, you know, he ran sort of entertainment at the BBC. He had um, sold he sold Strictly Come Dancing to Andrea Wong um, at, a- at ABC and John Sade. And so we suddenly get a call to come out to the States for three months only to launch um, Dancing with the Stars in the US ah, with a with core team. Nice. Yes. And so I just, I packed my apartment up very, very quickly in about four days, I remember, put it in storage, packed one suitcase, and off we trotted. And I came with, I came with, um, I came with uh, Alex Rosinski, who's a great, you know, really does all the kind of live, directs all the live the big right. shows here now. Uh, Rob Wade is president, obviously, at Fox now. Um, Matilda Zoltofsky, who's the EP of World World of Dance. And Joe Sunker, who now is an exec over at Fox as well. And we came together. This little group of us, um, and that was it. And we were met at the airport um, by Paul Tlegdi, <laughs> um, who is now
0: r- now <laughs> because he runs was NBC? running the B- yeah. he was
1: yeah now runs NBC because he was running um, he was the running the BBC in LA Right. and it was only him and one other guy Jeremy Whitten. It's only two people in the BBC office, and um, so they picked us up and took us to our corporate apartments. And you know, had filled the fridge with like orange juice and bread and milk. Remember. <laughs> (laughs) and um and they were like okay so we'll only be here for three months and um let's see if anyone let's see if we can make the show here and if anyone will do it and we were we were on holiday basically I think is the best way of describing it um all of us we were just this was like a fun jolly um out to the states and we really didn't think that anybody was going to watch the show um, necessarily um because it wasn't Boreham dance. wasn't such a big deal here, you know, no, in the U S
0: yes, no, I mean, it really it, wasn't. It, it was yeah. as, as big of a shock to anyone. But, yes. Anyone. Right. Yeah. And us. Yeah. Right. It was just shock. Yeah. It
1: was just a shock. You know, so we were just having a great time is that, I mean, really we were, and we were, we nearly went home very quite soon after we arrived because the, the show was cast contingent and, um, we weren't having an awful lot, lot of luck in casting it, unsurprisingly. Um, so <laughs> I, mean, can I can't imagine? even
0: imagine the first reaction when you went out to celebrities, do you want a ballroom oh dance? God. Like the initial oh, season. My, I mean, no. Yeah. Like,
1: no, I don't. Right? No, we don't want to ball and dance. No, we don't. And what are you talking about? And right. what do you mean I have to wear this ridiculous outfit and cover myself in fake tan? And, um, and why would I do that right. when I'm a serious actor or musician right. Whatever right. else I am in my real life, so we so I got hauled off to the grove um to coffee bean um by a b c and uh I was with myself and Conrad Green and Dina Katz, who was casting it, and we were told in no uncertain terms that this was on a Wednesday that if we didn't have a really big name by the Friday, we were going home Wow and we and literally the next day we booked Amanda Holyfield Whew. Yes. and I know, yes. and that my best friend, boxers that, ever, yeah. The best boxer ever. Exactly. One of the best boxers. Exactly. And, you know, we, I mean, it it was interesting that we we found it very difficult to have, to get to book crew to work on the show because they thought it was ridiculous. (laughs) Um, So camera crews, like everybody was laughing at us. It was just like, this show is a stupid show that's not going to ever make air and no one wants to work on it. And so we really did. We were a tiny team. I mean, really a tiny team. And, um, but the show, but we had a lot of fun ourselves as a group. And I think that that probably come, come, came across on, on screen in a way because it was, you know, we really did, it was joyous, you know, behind the scenes, um, for us. And, um, my God. Yeah. So one of the more bizarre things that happened on that show was, um, our costumes got kidnapped. (laughs) Um, and then the the day of the day of the live finale. Oh my God. They were kidnapped by somebody in the costume department who was very upset about a credit that they wanted and hadn't received. And I got a fax was sent through um, to our office, to my office that said, if you don't give me this credit, et cetera, I won't give the costumes back. And this was everybody's outfit. This was all of the celebrities, all of the dancers, (laughs) they were all kidnapped at a hotel. They were in a hotel nearby and I myself and Rob Wade and uh, Michael Brooks, um, we basically then had to go and get these things, the costumes back because we were going live literally hours later um, and we had nothing for anybody to wear. And so, so we did. So we sent one of them off. One of them went off in a taxi to this hotel and basically got, sort of, did a sort of, you know, trade off for the co- to get these to get the costumes back. I mean, it
0: was like an extraordinary (laughs) (laughs) moment in time. Did you have like a standoff? (laughs) She had them in a, a, you had a briefcase. Yes, yes, yes. You you blinked your lights.
1: Yeah, Yeah, we had donuts and we had a trench coat. Right. We actually did dress the part. Like I remember we were being very silly about it (laughs) and actually dressing up as detectives to try and go and get our costumes back. But yeah, that was an interesting um, part of
0: season one. Why do you think Dancing with the Stars became such a big hit in the States?
1: In the States, Um, because it was fun. I mean, it was really good fun. It was, I think you, we hadn't seen like a performance show done like that. And, you know, I think that obviously American Idol was doing really, really well, but this show was not, we weren't creating careers for, for people. We were taking celebrities out of their comfort zone. They were competing for a shonky looking trophy that was right. falling apart. You know, it was, um, a show where, you know, we, we, we sort of lent into the kind of extraordinariness of ballroom dancing and the rules of it, you know, and we would have, the dancers would say things like, you know, I'm the Panther of the ballroom and right. things like that, which they, you know, genuinely meant at the time. Sure. Um, and you know, and but it was fun, you know, um, and I think that what was really good about it as well was the uh, watching these celebrities journey the journey that they went on because you know they come into these shows thinking that they're not going to care much and they within a week they care they care more than life itself about whether they get through or not you know and I think that that really that the the narrative the, the journey emotional journeys of of those people the characters and the Relationships between the dancer and the celebrity became really fascinating for people, um, and it's just you know there's a lot of skimpy-clad women on that show. There is, <laughs> let's face it, that helps. That doesn't that doesn't hurt. No, yeah, it helps. doesn't hurt. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And Tom Bergeron, you know, is such an amazing oh, host. So I, I good. just think it. Ha- yeah, he's so good. He he's so good at live hosting. He's yeah. just he's one of the best. He really is.
0: So much of what works on Dancing with the Stars, I feel, works on The Masked Singer. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think that when you, you mentioned Tom and what he does there, yes. I think Nick Cannon does really yes. well on The Masked Singer. Oh, he's brilliant. And I think yeah. you, you mentioned celebrities being out of mm-hmm. their element mm-hmm, on Dancing mm-hmm. with the Stars. I think The Masked yes. Singer, it's the, it's a similar exactly. situation. It is very
1: similar. Yeah. It's very similar. So yeah.
0: with The Masked Singer... This is a Korean format, all right? You you adapted a British format uh, with uh, Dancing with the Stars. Tell me a little bit about how you came on to The Mass Singer and some of the early stages of the development and you taking that on as the showrunner.
1: Sure. So I I was brought on really early onto the Master Singer. So the the so the show had been pitched around town actually many years before and had never sold, but it'd been based on the original Korean format. Um, but what had happened in the in the interim was that the, uh, the Thais had done a in Thailand. They'd done a version of the Korean show. That was sort of much more westernized in a way. Um, and Craig Plestis with Paradigm um, had got the, the rights to, to The master Singer and, and used the Thai show to cut, this, uh, to cut a sizzle. And the show had Rob Wade over at Fox was, was this must have been in January 2018 um and rob had was you know wanted to 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 develop it and and see whether we could cast it Uh, but no one else no one had been brought on at that point it was just craig um so i got a call from um clara donohoe over at fox um who i know well from ladies of london amongst other shows and um she said listen i i've seen this, this tape's come in and I really think if anyone wants would want to do this, it would be you because it's very, very strange, Izzy.
0: Um it's really weird. And <laughs> I was like, that's that, yeah. Yes, you do love the weird. Yes. <laughs> I love do it.
1: love the weird. Yeah. I do. I love it. Yeah. So um so I took one look at this um sizzle tape and I was like, oh my God. I ha- I was like, I have to do this project. I have to do this project. Like I I became obsessed immediately with it because it was the most extraordinary thing I had ever seen and um so we we had nothing at that point we had no format or any calendar or budget or anything you know or cast so um I started developing it with Craig um and we Dina Katz came on to to cast it who cast dancing one of the first people I wanted to bring on board was obviously a a costume designer Yes. Um. And so, um, I I knew who I wanted. Um. And Marina Toybina, who had done an, a sort of mixture of, um, kind of, uh, she'd done a, a big like stadium tours. So for mu- for art, musical artists like Pink, and she'd actually done Fox Heads for Pink, one of Pink's tours. And then she'd done also, you know, World of Dance, and so you think you can dance. And then she'd done the Super Bowl halftime show, The Shark. You know, The Shark, Katy Perry. So she had got this right balance of experience. I got her on board. And then that's when visually things started to make sense for me, you know, of how the American version might work. Um, and then Nick Cannon was the only host I wanted because there's fantastic <laughs> dress sense, and I loved that. And I thought you can't have a host in a white suit in a, in a beige suit rather <laughs> standing here in the middle of like someone next to them with a, a dress as a chicken. Um, yes. So we need flamboyance at all at all stages. And then and then we we were we it was very hard to cast the show, and and we only had we were only green lit three weeks before we shot the first episode. Wow. I had three weeks of pre production with a team. Um, and then we shot the entire show in 19 days, the entire series.
0: That's, that's pretty incredible. It really I don't really don't remember it. I, do, I, no. <laughs> I
1: don't remember It's such yeah, a blur.
0: I bet. Yeah, I bet. it was
1: kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. So you, you mentioned a couple of things there that I want to hit on. First is the costumes, because it's the first thing that stands out. Tell me yes. a little bit about the, the elaborate costumes, the people that make them. What goes yeah. into the creative?
1: So we came up with a list of like 30 or 40 different types of costumes that we thought would be, you know, have some relevance to American culture. Because a lot of the, the Thai and Korean costumes were understandably so rooted in Asian culture. So, you know, there was a one sure. giant pork bun for example, on one of the Thai shows, you know, and there was, you know, it was very, very different to how you might imagine the show here. Yes. And so we came up with a list of um, different kinds of costume characters that we thought would be great. And then we, with with Fox approved, you know, a certain number of those. And then we worked then with Marina, um, our costume designer, <clears throat> to sketch out, um, I think we sketched out about 25 different um, costumes um, and those sketches then you know were approved by the network. And then from then onwards, what we would do is, you know, the costumes are they're all handmade, they're all couture handmade with incredible, we have incredible mask builders. And so we would then, once we book a celebrity, um, what we would do is we would present a number of the sketches to that to each person. And we would kind of pick uh, of like, pick five or six per person that we think would suit them or have some relevance for them um, from a story perspective, okay. um, or we just thought aesthetically they might like. <clears throat> and they, we then get in a room with them, show them those sketches. And then every single time, without fail, somebody will look at a sketch, will just take one look at a sketch and go, it has to be that one. It has to be that one. And this is why. And there's always a personal story attached to it that we have no idea about. It's, it's incredible. So yeah. it's like, I remember, you know, Ricky Lake, you know, she took one look at the raven costume and was like, that's my spirit animal. I was like, what?
0: <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> you know,
1: yes. No, it doesn't, does it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and it had such symbolic meaning for her because, you know, there was also the, a raven, you know, symbolized. Um, death and and her her husband had recently passed, ah. and there was you know so there was a really there was a personal connection. Um, Tori spelling you know for the unicorn she had or she uses unicorns to help her kids you know just with dealing with bullying at school and to believe in yourself and it had incredible meaning for her so we designed that one for her specifically because she asked to be a unicorn <laughs> um, you know there was like there's, there's a reason behind every single one yeah. of them and yeah. um, so um, so once they say so they'll identify the the one they want to be and that from that point onwards the minute they're booked on the show we don't call them by their name ever again right we never ever call anybody by their real name we call them by their costume name they become the character huh. and i and i am honestly genuinely shocked at every unmasking myself in the booth despite knowing who they are of course i i i've, I've never seen them without their mask off
0: so do you forget so, who they are Is no that- you just
1: don't see them ever You never see their face because they're masked when they come onto the lot we have off-stage masks and on-stage masks, and then they're all their representation are masked as well. So anybody that accompanies them to our lot is masked. So you don't see anybody's faces really ever. Um, and so it's so the, so for the first time you'll see you know when robot Lil Wayne you know was unmasked on season three, and I yes. hadn't seen him his I hadn't seen his face. Right. In a costume before. Right. Because it is always covered. So you get it's very odd because they for the team, for the production team, they become they are just they will unicorn or it's robot or it's, you know, so we don't we don't think of them as anything else but that. You know, and they become the, and they, they they also themselves become the characters. You know, they they connect with their costume in a way that I've never seen on a show like this before. They become their cat. They become the costume character. Um, it's really, but it's bizarre.
0: I mean, they have to, for for it to they work, to. right? Yes, you've
1: got to. You know, and we help them with things, you know, like we so, for example, you know, a lot of a lot of the time on season one, Robin Thicke would guess who somebody was based on their but them their gestures, the hand gestures they made, because they were gestures that they were familiar to him. So he guessed Ricky Lake because she always puts her hand on her chest on her show. Oh, my kid is screaming. Um, and <laughs> sorry. Um, there was, She always puts her hand on her sh- on her chest, right? And Donny Osmond, Peacock, he always he does a sort of prayer thing, you know, when on his when he performs right. okay. little gestures, right? That 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 Robin, you know, Robin's really good at spotting those. And so, you know, we work with the with the each of the celebrities to cover up their natural gestures um, and give them other other gestures that will be more in line with their costume character, but that also would then mask who they really were.
0: How important is kind of teeing up with the judges, the guessing to make it a fun play along element with the audience, whether it's the audience, the studio audience or the audience at home? Because it seems like that really helps the the fun of it. It helps the tension.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, so the, so so, so you know like the very few people the panel do not know the identities of of the the singers at all, and neither do most of the production teams. so, the director, Alex Wazinski, doesn't know who they are. Neither does our studio crew and neither do the right. No, that anybody. The only people that know the identities are, there's 20, about 20, 25 of us. And there's a list that I send out um, to everybody on the team, to the talent, the managers, agents, and to the network of these are the only people that know who who's taking part in this, show, that, that person is taking part. And so <clears throat> it means that, you know, everybody is genuinely playing a guessing game, Yeah, you know, they really, really are. And so we have, and the clues are incredibly difficult to craft. They are so complicated because you, you are trying to, you don't want to make it so hard that people really can't play along at home that was important to us and the network that it was easy enough that you you could you could get some right you know um so that it was a game, it was something that had play along for it you know at right. home but at the same time there's an, a rabid group of clue hunters um on Reddit and on various other platforms <laughs> who are, who yeah. you need to give them some stuff right so you need to give them enough of the kind of obscure difficult to figure out clues that only certain people will will get So it's a sort of balance, you're you're, you're catering to two very different types of audience, I guess. The people that really don't know who anyone is, like my mom, um, (laughs) you know, and who's genuinely going, so yeah, if anyone gets a mask. And and then the rabid clue hunters. And so we have to, well, the way that we create our clues is we we try and now, certainly by season three, I think we got much better at it, of having everything could have multiple meanings. Or interpretations to them, so you know if there was um, um, a clue, you know it's all, everything is factually accurate and correct to the, to the celebrity, but it could it also could be true of five other people. Sure, sure that's more right. Yeah. So that's so. Yeah, yeah, so we're trying always to do that. And the show, the show at its heart, is a guessing game. It's a guessing game, and it's a singing show or a performance show. But you know, if you don't have enough people, if you don't cast the show well enough, that you are going to have either you know really big names under there. They've all got to be household names because you can't have someone take their mask off and people go, oh, oh, you know, <laughs> yes. yeah. So you need to be household names, and but they, but you also you need to you need people that who's that they, they don't do this as a normal career so that then you, so that they're guessing then the guessing narrative can, can be extended out, you know, as long as, as long as possible for everyone at home as well. Um, Cause you know, we did a lot of shows season three, with 19 episodes, you know? Yeah. And so these, these singers were performing a nine rounds, you know, across the season. And, you know, you've got to be able to keep a guessing narrative going for, for certain people for nine rounds, yeah. you know, nine shows. And that's a lot um, you know, to be able to eke out and not get to the person immediately.
0: So I want to ask you about the format and how that works, because mm. I found it, you know, just watching, re-watching it last night, it mm-hmm. occurred to me, something occurred to me that I kind of knew already, but um, mm. I felt like it was, it would be interesting to talk about. Like, the guessing is what really drives the fun of the show yes. and, and the yes. elaborate costumes. But ultimately, it really does it play into the winner at all? No. Which, yeah. No, it doesn't. So
1: it doesn't. It has no relevance. Has whatsoever. no relevance. Yeah. Right? No.
0: Yeah. And it occurred to me when the show, like, as you guys are producing and are you develop and mm-hmm. you develop and does it? Do you talk about that? Did it? Does it ever come up? Or what's the discussion? Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's when well, it's a really interesting one because. It's yeah, you the the actual narrative of the, the actual comp- competition is purely singing based. Right. Actually, right? So the stakes of the show are us are, are the performances, right? Um, and they're not the guessing. That's not where the stakes are, but the stakes become sort of the guessing. But even some of the the singers actually believe, even to this day when they come on, even if we explain it a million times you know in advance. They, they often, they will think that the minute they're guest, they're out. That's how they <laughs> perceive it to be. And I am constantly telling people that is not how the show works. That's not how no. the show works. The show works based on whether or not the, your performance, the performance itself was the best of the night. That's all, that's the only thing we're voting on. And the audience, the studio audience that we have, they only come to one show. They only come to that one taping. Right. So they're only seeing those characters once. So they're voting on who is their favorite performer of the night. And that's all they're voting on. (sighs) And they are not voting on whether or not somebody's guest because they have no idea because we always obviously we shoot the shows and they they this season was slightly different because we started airing while we were taping and we'd never done that before. Um, But normally, you know, season one was in the can by the time, you know, season one hadn't even been on air, obviously, when everyone came to the taping. So they had no... They had no history or narrative of of an individual performer, so you know they weren't looking at it as in you know this person we've got close to guessing this one, and therefore they've got to go. you know they literally are voting best performance of the night um, and that's what the panel are, are voting on as well right so the so the guessing the guessing is is that is the sort of the sprinkle on top of this the the competition, but it is obviously as you say the one of the most important parts of the show because that is what drives our comedy it's what you know it's the it's the play along at home that is so important so you know yes we, you know i don't know how else you would do the show like i don't think you'd ever want to make it so that if you were guest you were out because i think that that would then create a whole host of issues with then you know, how, um, how the clues were structured, those clue packages and all of that sort of stuff. And I think it would put people off wanting to be part of it.
0: Yeah. Uh, We, we have to talk about the panel because they have great chemistry. They have so much fun. Uh, so Ken Jong, Jenny McCarthy, Robin Thicke, and Nicole Scherzinger. Tell me a little bit about, uh, what makes them successful and what makes them so popular uh, amongst the crowd. Um, yeah,
1: sure. So none of them were like particularly close at all when we cast them. And um, you know, we Ken was the first one who signed on um because it was his mother's favorite show and career. So he actually knew about wow. her, our okay. singer. So that's how Ken that Ken was part of it. And um, <clears throat> you know, and then Jenny when we reached out to Jenny we wanted someone who was like a pop culture you know expert. Jenny sort of took one look at the costume sketches and was in she was in immediately. (laughs) Loved loved love 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 and then Robin, um, Robin was fascinated by and slightly perplexed by it all but also was really keen to do it because you know he loved the idea of he kind of prided himself on being able to sort of guess who someone is the minute he heard them sing and he's obviously you know an incredibly talented um, you know producer Art musician, artist singer, you know, he's really a super talented guy. Um, and Nicole, we you know, we uh, we all knew Nicole, um, you know, for she's obviously been on panels, you know, for X Factor and um AGT. And she is a, such a fantastic um panelist, you know, in terms of and performer. Um, and you know, what I didn't realize about her though, however, is that she's really funny. And I didn't realize that. I didn't know that before. And and so I think you know, the panel for season one, um, they were just shell shocked because we shot, you know, 10 shows in 19 days and we didn't see any of it, any of that footage between episodes because we were, we did 10 pilots essentially. So none of them saw how they were coming across or what the show, how the show was coming across. We just, we did two shows a day, um, you know, and we, we, we really did do 10 pilots and, we didn't know what we were doing really um i, I mean honestly like yeah. i i i remember i mean I, I remember on the first episode that we taped you know that we were going to let the singers talk a lot on stage and you know peacock donny osman started a story about something and i remember i was in the booth and i was like stop Everyone stop. You know, you're convinced (laughs) that everybody will be it because you know who they are. So you are convinced that any single thing they say or do will give them away. And so we were just in this state of apoplectic sort of meltdown at any given moment. The panel also didn't really know what how to approach the show, I guess, because none of us did. We hadn't done it before. Um, But they really, they became and they are now, they're a family, you know. That's what really works with all of them. They each have their different skill sets, you know. Um, You know, we know that Jenny is a rabid clue hunter and that we have to, really be on our guard on guard with her because she knows she's interviewed everybody there is um, on her on her radio show and so she knows weird facts about people that you or I would never know and and because we can't tell the panel in advance who the singers are right obviously we then don't really know who is connected like how they might be connected other than taking the celebrity at their word right so I'll say to anyone we book, what is your relationship with any of the panelists? Do any of them know you? Have you ever had any contact with them? You know, might they guess you based on anything, you know? And so yeah. we do everything in our power to, to work against that. Um, but they are, I think, um, Nicole and Robin, you know, they bring your sort of music expertise and they can have conversations about people's tone and pitch and things that that Jenny and Ken don't lean into quite so much. Ken is obviously our fantastic loose cannon that I love sure, with all my heart. He really is funny.
0: He's so comedy. funny. He's yeah.
1: so funny. Like he laugh out loud funny. And he, um, I mean, the amount of footage that we don't, that doesn't end up airing, that is so funny. And I, it makes me so sad that we can't fit it into the shows. But um, he really, what's great about Ken is that even though you might think he's making sort of random stupid guesses a lot of the time, he's not, he actually tells a story with his guessing. Like he go takes, there's a logic to it. Right. Yeah. That I think is so great. And he really breaks up the, the panel, you know, their dynamic. Um, You know, I, I, I made it, I made it from the get go on, on singer that I didn't want a panel who was critiquing people um, I was very purposely did not want that. We yeah. didn't, it was not that show and we wanted the, a warm, the warmth and support of like a late night panel show. That was the vibe that we, we really specifically went for. Um, and so, you know, and I think that that's worked really, really well, certainly with that group.
0: And and that makes sense. And you definitely feel that. Um, I have to, yeah. I definitely have to talk about the ratings because the season one finale got 11.4 yeah. million total viewers with yeah. a 3.6 rating, your Super Bowl episode. The episode mm, yeah. that aired right after the Super Bowl, 23.7 mm. million viewers. Yes. So Yes, that was amazing. You know, you guys are defying kind of the trend that whether it's cable or network television can't succeed in 2020. Um what what is that? Why do you think that is? And how does that make you feel as a producer?
1: Oh well, I, um, I mean, it. I think it's because it the show is so refreshingly different. I think you know, like I I don't know about you, but I was bored beyond all recognition with that. You know, we we brought these like these big performance shows and competition shows over in two thousand three and two thousand four. You know, and we hadn't changed the language or vernacular of any of these shows since then, you know, and it was, it was that thing where, I mean, I remember going into see Fox and I was like, I don't want to hear another agonising tension bed where you know somebody tells me that somebody is going to their life will be over if they don't do a cha cha well or if they yeah. don't sing this song well. Yeah, I was like, we you know, and I don't want to hear another snarky judge telling somebody that they're not good or you're putting people down. I, I don't, I don't, I've never made a show that. That puts people down. And I, I pride myself on that. I'm all about trying to, you know, embrace and celebrate everybody for all their differences, weirdnesses and and for making the effort and to, for being there. And I think, you know, I, I felt really very strongly that, you know, you can't have comedy and fun in a show that has such high stakes those two things don't go well together. You know, it's like if you are, if people are performing for their life, if they are, you know, their dreams will be crushed if this doesn't happen. That's not a a space that really where, where having a real laugh and, you know, being irreverent and loose really fits. Um, And so I think that there was, that was refreshing for people, I think, you know, it was just yeah, you know, we were just having a bit of a laugh. The packages, the way we shoot our packages, are so different from any other show. You know, we wanted to make them these really bizarro kind of films. You know, that yes. are little films that you know the, that really that are all clue based. There's no, it's not, it's not a, you know, it's no sit down interviews or any of that stuff. We just threw all of that out the window. Um, and just i just i really felt like i wanted to just lean into the crazy and the and lean into the guessing game and i think that 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 was the thing really that was that was so different about it was that you could sit at home and shout with your family at the tv about who you thought somebody was and it wasn't you know you weren't just sitting judging a singing competition you yeah. know so i think that's partly what you know made it made the show Successful, you and know? you've had
0: such an eclectic set of celebrities over the course of these three seasons. Yes. You know, your mm. two your two winners: season one, T Pain, and then mm. season two, Wayne Brady. But you've had yes. Bella Thorne, Patty yes. Labelle, Lil Wayne, yes. Terry Bradshaw, <laughs> yeah, Rob, <laughs> yeah. You know? Sarah Palin. Yeah. Yeah. okay, Sarah Palin and yeah. Rob Gronkowski. You know, I know, right? I, I know. Shaka We've Kha- had a really, yeah. I know, Sh- like. <laughs> I mean, I know it's amazing, isn't
1: it? It's like it's such a great eclectic mix of people and they're all doing it for different reasons. You know, that's the thing. Like they're not doing it because they need to get famous because they obviously are famous. They are doing it like some some of them are doing it like Lil Wayne did it for his kids because he wanted to shock surprise his kids.
0: That's nice. So did
1: Seal last season as well. Like he didn't tell his children. It's their favorite show. And uh, so when they, so they all watched when he, we we asked him actually to to film, um, you know the to film his kids watching the reveal when when it was revealed to be him, you know, yeah, uh, just at home so we could see because it's just like it's really you know it they a lot of people do it for that reason which is great. Um, you know, and then, and then someone like Sarah, you know, Sarah Palin just, you know, she's going through, she was going through some stuff at home and she really just wanted to go and have fun, you know, just really do something that's a bit of fun. And a lot of them do it because they want to see if they're going to get guest. <laughs> you know, there's a partly that going on yeah. too. They get, they get annoyed when they're not guest, and they get annoyed when they are
0: guest. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that. But yeah. So and then there's the people that really just have really amazing voices that you just wouldn't know have amazing voices that want to show people that they do or they want to break out of the genre that they're known for because they feel they've been pigeonholed. You know, that's also there's many reasons why why people take part, which is great for us.
0: Awesome. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, Izzy, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. I'm very honored. It was awesome. <laughs> it was yes, awesome. Also, yeah. I am.
1: I'm very, very honored.
0: Oh, okay. And, and, um, we
1: didn't, and we didn't get interrupted by too many children, so uh, we did well.
0: Yes. And, and, and take, please thank
1: them. For, for I will. I, by the way, that's who we need to thank. Yes. I will thank them on your behalf.
0: All right. Cool. All right. And everybody right. should definitely watch The Masked Singer um, on, on Wednesday. Wednesday night. Yeah. Yes. Right.
1: Wednesday nights on Fox.
0: All right, cool. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. And that is going to do it for another episode of No Script, No Problem. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate it. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at believe.com and at Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M Berkowitz. Please remember to subscribe, download, and rate the podcast with five stars. You can also write a question if you have one, and then I can answer it on the show. You can email me your questions. My email is no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA for the audio connection. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem.